You heard from the, uh, the reading and Sarah's introductory video, uh, this series that we're beginning today, focusing on uh, unity in Christ and looking at this from the book um, of Ephesians. And the book of Ephesians was written by uh, Paul, uh, who was an apostle of the early church who wrote much of the, uh, the New Testament. And he writes this book to the Ephesians from prison in Rome. He's towards the latter part of his life. And the church in Ephesus is one that he helped to see founded. And he's, he's writing really just to express his, his love and his apostolic oversight of this church. The church at the time was in uh, ancient Greece. It's now in modern-day um, Turkey. And Ephesus was uh, a trading port. Uh, so ships passed through the port in Ephesus. And it was also a crossroads of some of the, um, uh, the trading routes where people would have moved goods through um, you know, horseback and that kind of thing. And so it was also a mixing pot of different cultures and ideas, the syncretism of Religion was there to sort of, on every, on every corner of the street, there would be a different faith expression or a different culture. Uh, and Ephesus was sort of the melting pot of all those things. And unlike most of the New Testament letters, the book of Ephesians isn't particularly dealing with a problem. A lot of the letters in the New Testament were commissioned because there was a problem, something to be fixed or to be put right or to be communicated. Um, but Ephesians really is just a, a book where Paul is trying to just express something of his passion for the church and some of his understanding of what it means to know God and to be loved by God. And it's really hard to jump into Ephesians. It's, it's a very dense read. It's a short book, but it's, it's packed full of truth. Um, and as typical with Paul, it's got, it's got worship and theology mixed together. The two are blended. It's almost as if he can't talk theology without worship, and he can't communicate worship without giving theology. And so it's not like he's partitioned his letter and said, uh, let's just say a prayer to God, uh, an encouraging thought. Great. Now, on to the teaching. It's as if he has to mix the two together. Worship and theology must go together hand in hand. And it also, the book includes um, a number of epic prayers. And if you scan through, the first one starts on verse 15. It just follows the reading that we had. There's about three or four prayers where uh, Paul introduces them sometimes and just says, this is how I pray, or I pray this for you. And in fact, when I was a student, I think in my third year, I remember taking a year to focus on praying for myself the prayers of Paul in Ephesians. And I would just, I would just uh, use my Bible and read what was there in Paul's prayer and make it my own. And if Paul said, I, you know, I kneel down and pray, I would kneel down and pray. If he said, I lift my hands, I'd lift my hands up. And I was, I was trying to kind of engage with that sense that I wanted to express my love for God in, in really good truth so that I could worship with good theology. And I, and I wanted good theology, good ideas about God to be something that shaped my thinking and my understanding of myself. And so we picked this book, this, this series, because uh, it's often a bit sleepy coming back in September. You're probably still dreaming of the holiday that you had and how much you wish 
you were there. And uh, as was already said by Rosie, kind of thinking ahead to what we might be doing this year and through the next 12 months. There's lots of things. We could start feeling busy, overwhelmed with all that. It's really good to start with just focusing on worship and on knowing good truth and allowing that to be the simple thing upon which we put our feet and on the thing that encourages us and and gives us our strength before we look at what are we going to do? What are we going to change? What are we going to move on? Let me pick out a few things that Paul says in this uh, beginning to the book of Ephesians. Um, The first is this. You heard it in the reading that God has chosen us. I, I hear a lot of testimonies, people telling their story of why they are a Christian. And testimonies often follow a very similar pattern. You know, the kind of, it's like a washing machine advert, sort of, this is what I was like before, this is what I did, this is what I'm like now, a sort of before and after sandwich. And you can almost imagine Paul listening to somebody tell their testimony in this matter. Uh, I chose to go on Alpha, uh, and then I chose to start going to this church, uh, and then I chose to give my life to Jesus, and then I chose to get baptized, and then I chose, and it's almost as if Paul wants to interrupt the person that might be saying that and say, do you know this? He chose us before the creation of the world. Mic drop. It's like, get your head around that. In your face, Arius. Deal with that. You think you chose to follow God. You think you made the decisions that got you to where you are today. Here's how God sees it. Before even the world got made, I chose that you would know me. And this is like a transformational truth. To, to know this truth, to absorb even just a small part of it, is utterly transforming to our lives. It, it, can, it can relieve us from any, all the dangers of striving or just trying to earn love from God or trust from God or any, any of those things. It can, it can release us into a liberty of knowing God. If we just catch that sense that God chose us, that God took the initiative in order that we might know him. And of course, you can see how Paul's using this. You can see how this is not just some dry truth. It's not just some, just some proposition that we write down in a notebook. It's, it's the kind of idea that when fully understood, when received for what it is, will catapult us into worship and adoration of God. The second point is similar. Verse 5 says this, In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. So he's kind of picking up the same thing. He's using the word predestined. He's saying, God predestined us to be adopted by God. And he did it in love. Again, this is not like a, a dry theological proposition. It's not like the kind of thing you read on a doctrinal basis and you say, well, in this church, we, we uh, express our theology in this way and we believe in predestination. And there's all sorts of rabbit warrens you could get going down that, you know, like 
did God choose that I wore these socks this morning or did I choose them? You know, did, did, did God cause me to choose to wear the jumper that I'm wearing? And all sort of irrelevant discussions that can go with that. Again, Paul's just, he's speaking into a person's relationship with God and he's saying, did you know this? God chose you before you even existed. God predestined, as in he caused it to happen that you would come to know and to love him. And what he's doing here is he's, he's saying it's not, it's not just that somehow you got swept up in a kind of job lot. It's not as if God's just saying, well, I, I chose everyone. I chose the whole lot. You know, it's just like a big job lot, like a few billion people. And uh, we'll just say it like this. You didn't pick me. I picked you. That, that could leave us actually feeling unloved. You could think, oh, well, there's probably a few important people that God did want to choose. He did want to choose Mother Teresa or whoever else it might be. But, you know, me, I'm kind of a job lot. It was sort of one in all, all in. But what he's saying here is God did it in love. God individually loved you. And he didn't just bring you into his club. He brought you into his family. He said, I want to adopt you. I want to cause you to know that you're loved. And in fact, Thomas Merton, who's the, the place that I visited, a lot of his poetry really is wrestling with the idea that how to know that you are loved by God. And again, if, when we grasp even a small part of this, that the God that made heaven and earth also loves me. If I think about how I love a, a friend or the person I'm married to or my children, I picture my heavenly father, even if I just grasp just the tiniest bit that God is pleased to know me. God smiles when he thinks about me. God cares about my life. He's not just in some mechanistic way caused me to know him, that somehow I'm just, I'm just in a big box mixed in with everyone else and God, you know, he kind of had to do it. But actually, God individually, precisely, he knows me and he loves me. Then my life can be transformed by that. And I can be set free in so many ways to experience the fullness of God and to convey it to others. And of course, again, Paul's not trying to just teach us something. He's also telling us how he got to know some of this stuff himself. He's telling us, I, I get down on my knees and I pray to the Father in heaven and I talk to him and I, and I pray these big truths and I ask God to fill me with his Holy Spirit and I ask him to reveal his love to me, and I do that over and over again, and, then I, and I've also done it for you. I've knelt down and prayed for you, not just that you'd be a Christian, but that you would know how much God loves you, and how, and that you didn't choose him, but he chose you. And so Paul's kind of educating us in, in the way of life that he's learned that's allowed him to not just know as a statement of theology, but as an act of genuine heart worship that he is chosen and loved by God. And the last thing is this. Paul's telling us this so that we will be united 
with him. Verse 10 says this. This is all, all this happens that we're chosen and we're loved and we're called and we're predestined so that God can bring all things to unity in heaven and on earth through Jesus Christ. So that the aim of this is not just that we have an, an individually improved experience, that we are separately discovering sort of mysteries about God, but it's as if, it's as if as we connect more with knowing who we are and who God is, it unites us more tightly and more closely to the others who are also discovering that. And the outworking of that is unity. The outworking of that is that our lives are connected and we, we care. And that happens whether that's your family, whether it's your, um, your church. Um, it happens, for example, my friend Patrick, who I've, I've not been to where he lives. He's not been to where I live, but we've talked and we've prayed together. And so it's not like, oh, he's like a missionary, a pin on the dot. He's like a person that I know. I care about his life. And so I'm, I'm motivated to respond to the things he talks about when he says, this is the hard things that happen where we live. These are the challenges that we face. As we connect more and more with God, we are more naturally connected and united with the others who also know that. So as we begin this new year, lots of things are going to happen. Some are planned. There'll be some things that happen that we haven't even discovered yet. We haven't thought of. Church is like a, a raw and dynamic thing. We, do, we can't, you can't write a business plan for five years because it's not a business. It's, it's a family. It's a, it's a dynamic thing. And ultimately, God's in charge. God's leading it. But it's really important that we begin with a reminder of how important this stuff is. That as we come out of a sleepy September and we kind of get back to gathering together and meeting with one another and praying and things like that, that we know that we're chosen, that we're loved, and that we're united. Perhaps I can just end by reading the first bit of that reading again over us. Um, let me read it a bit like a blessing over our lives, because this is truth that God wants to say to all of us. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given to us in the one whom he loves, Jesus Christ. Amen.